N. Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet, to speak the word of God to the Jews at a time when their moral and spiritual condition was deplorable. It was hard and difficult for Jeremiah to see his people resolve to continue in their rebellion against God and to see them plunged into the calamity of captivity. His heart was breaking at the prospect, as is recorded in the opening verse here of this chapter. He longs to be away from them, that he might be away from them when the tragedy befalls them. However, the prophet is faithful to God and he's faithful to his people. And he warns them and exhorts them. And then in the first six, we find this statement that he delivers to them from the Lord. We read there, Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. This is the Lord then speaking through the prophet in relation to the people of Israel. This is the condition that they're found in. This is the condition that the prophet laments over. And this is how God speaks of them and refers to that condition. He says, through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. It is that particular sentence that I want to have before us tonight as we consider Uh, the gospel message. We want to notice here, uh, first of all, in these thoughts, what it means to know the Lord. That's the subject here. That's what the Lord's talking about. This is God's complaint against this people. They don't know him. He repeats it in the first first three, there, the third verse. At the end of that verse, we read, And they know not me, saith the Lord. And again, in our text, through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. This is the matter that he's talking about here. The matter is knowing the Lord. His complaint is that these people do not know the Lord. Now, what does it mean when the Lord is using this phrase? What does it mean to know God? I want tonight to endeavor to explain what it means to know the Lord by considering the Hebrew word that is used here and how it is translated in other parts of the Old Testament. For example, this same word, this verb to know, is also translated uh, to understand. It is to understand God. That is how It is translated a number of times. And if we look at the verse 24 of this chapter, it brings it before us in in clarity. In the verse 24, it says, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That he understandeth and knoweth me. And so the thought that is before us here is that of understanding the Lord. And it goes on in that verse 24, it says, To understand and know me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And so there are three things here in particular 
that the Lord exercises. Three things that are a delight for the Lord to exercise. And this is what the Lord would want us to know and to understand. And that is what we have before us here. And of course, the first thing that is mentioned here that the Lord would want us to understand about him is his loving kindness. His loving kindness. This term that is used here, loving kindness, it means favor and it means mercy. And of course, we cannot think of the mercy of God without thinking of God providing salvation for us. This is the evidence, the wondrous evidence of the grace, the favor, the mercy of God to poor sinners, that God in that mercy provides salvation for them. And dear on save tonight, there is a need for you to understand it, to understand the mercy of God, the mercy of God in providing salvation. You need to be saved. And you need to certainly understand this need of salvation because we're sinners. You were a sinner. The Bible tells us all of sin comes short of the glory of God. And the consequences of sin, those consequences are serious because sin, when it is finished, brings forth death, eternal death. And so tonight, in your sin, without a savior, without God's salvation, you're bound for eternal damnation in hell. And the Lord is saying here then that there's something that we need to understand about him. And that is his great mercy. That's his great love. That's his favor towards sinners in providing salvation for us. We understand the plan of salvation. It is brought before us in God's word. Salvation is through the, substitu the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That death of Christ, that atoning death of Christ to satisfy the justice of God on behalf of all of those who will repent of their sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a need to understand that. And the Lord is speaking here and he's saying here that let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth, that he knoweth me, that he knows something of my loving kindness, that he knows something of my mercy. He goes on to tell us there about the, 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 the matters here of, of judgment and righteousness. Because God is a God of righteousness and he is a God of judgment. He is the righteous judge that we read of who executes and exercises judgment and who judges rightly uh, all the time as we read of there in the Psalm 7 and again in Genesis 18 and 25 where we are faced there with God as the judge, the righteous judge who judges men, the God who loves righteousness the God who is righteous himself and the God who judges sinners, he will judge and he will punish the wicked. The Lord would want that we should understand this. And so when we're reading here about knowing the Lord, then we have this sense before us in this word. It is understanding the mercy of God in saving, in saving undeserving sinners, saving them from the wrath of God and saving them from the punishment of their sin and saving them from a lost eternity in hell. Again, the word is also translated 
uh, acquaintance. It is to be acquainted with God. It is to be acquainted with God in such a way that we are at peace with God. In Job 22 and 21, we have that verse. It says, uh, uh, there, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Acquaint now thyself with God and be at peace. So here is an acquaintance with God that gives us peace with God. And again, we cannot consider uh, peace with God apart from the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Colossians 1 and 20 that Christ made peace for us through the blood of his cross. How can we have peace with God? How can we have that acquaintance with God? How can we know this peace of God uh, uh, for ourselves? It is by means and on the basis of the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is our reconciliation to God on the basis of his atoning work, acquainted with God, knowing the peace of God as our portion, reconciled to God, no longer the enemy of God, no longer against God, no longer a stranger to God, but at peace with God. And that is how the word is used, that we might know God, that we might understand his mercy in providing salvation, that we might know that peace with God and that peace of God that is based upon the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word again, it means to have a close fellowship with God. It is translated, the same word is translated in Job 19, the verse 14, is translated their familiar friend. And what a friend the Lord is to us. In Proverbs 18 and 24, he is that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Again in Proverbs 17 and 17, he is a friend that loves at all times. A close friendship with the Lord. How can we know the Lord? What does it mean to know the Lord? It means to be in friendship with God. It means to have that close friendship with God. Chapman was writing that great hymn. When he said, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Or that familiar hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Those hymns are based upon the thought of our friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our friend who loveth us at all times. And then, of course, there is another verse in the New Testament, which speaks of knowing the Lord. Over there in the high priestly prayer of Christ in the chapter 17 of John's Gospel, the third verse, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What is it to know the Lord? It is to know the Lord as Savior. It is to know his great work of atonement for us, by which means we have peace with God and we enter into that friendship with the Lord. It is to have life eternal. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. 
It is to know him, to have eternal life, to have spiritual life now, to be alive to God and alive in, in God. It is to have life beyond the grave. It is to have the fullness of life. It is to be found in the glory land. People, here it is. What it is to know God. It is to be reconciled to God on the basis of his atoning work. It is to have that close friendship with God. It is to understand who and what God is and what God has done for us, what God will do for us. And it is to have that sure hope of joy unspeakable and the glory forever in heaven. That's what it is to know the Lord. That's the blessing. That's the blessing of knowing the Lord. But what does it mean to refuse to know God? These people here refused to know God. That is God's complaint. Maybe there's someone here in the meeting and you just fall into this category. You refuse to know the Lord. Someone listening on through social media, whatever, and you fall into this particular group, you're amongst those who refuse to know God. What does it mean to refuse to know God? It means to willfully reject that which God has offered you. That blessing, the blessing that we have been speaking about, of being reconciled to God and at peace with God and having a friendship in the Lord and having life eternal, that's the blessing of knowing God. That's offered to you. Offered to you in the gospel. But to refuse the Lord is to throw that in the face of God. To willfully reject it. If you look at the third verse that we read together. There's a term at the end of that verse. It says there, they proceed from evil to evil. They proceed from evil to evil. And the term that is used there, that word proceed, it has within it the meaning of deliberately going on. It has within it the thought of their whole purpose. The whole purpose of these people was to reject the Lord, to reject to know God, to reject the ways of the Lord, that they might proceed with deliberation. The whole mind given to it, the whole purpose of their activity was to go from evil to evil in their behavior and in their rejection of the Lord. The Lord offering to save sinners Offering his friendship, all the blessings that are found in Christ. That's available. My friend, is offered freely and offered graciously in the gospel. The Lord draws near with it the saving knowledge of God. The word of God declares who and what God is. Uh, We've been looking at it already, his power, his mercy, his righteousness, his judgment. It declares his love. And the word of God declares his grace, the mercy that is shown in providing salvation for sinners. It's all before us in this book. It's all here in the Bible. The salvation that was purchased by Christ on Calvary, the price that Christ paid so that we could have peace with God, the blood that he shed so that we could have cleansing from sin, the pain of the cross, 
the loneliness of the cross, when he was forsaken by all and forsaken by God the Father, the shame of the cross. All of this, my friend, Christ suffered, Christ did to save sinners. But you willfully reject all that he is and all that he has done and all that he offers. That's what it means to refuse to know God. You refuse to be acquainted with him. You refuse his friendship. You refuse that eternal life that is found in Christ and found in Christ alone. But why does the sinner refuse to know God? Why does the sinner refuse to know God? We look at our text again, it says, through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Yes, the devil is the great deceiver. He deceives with subtlety, causing the sinner to remain in his sin. And wicked people can also deceive the sinner with regard to the danger that the sinner is in. We were reading here, in these verses about the deceit of neighbors and the the deceit of brothers. There are many today, many men, women, young people, and they would deceive others regarding their sin. They would tell them that they're not such great sinners. They would say, but you're not a drunkard or you're not a a wife-beater. They would say, but... Now, you're not like other men who are found in the very gutters of sin. They would speak of, their, of others, perhaps, speaking of you as a respectable person, a good father, good mother, good son, good daughter, whatever. And they would deceive you and tell you that everything is all right with you, that these things will be sufficient. Yes, the devil deceives. People can deceive you, but people, what we have here has to do with the deceit of the sinner's own heart, the sinful nature of the sinner. Would you turn over some chapters there to the chapter 17, the chapter 17 of this prophecy of Jeremiah? We read here in these verses of that same deceit. Let me read. From the first five, we want to keep it in context. Reading at verse five through to the first nine. Verse five, thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that thrusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Then the first seven, Blessed is the man that thrusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. The first nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Why does the sinner refuse to know God? Because his heart is deceitful. This verse 9 here is in context. We need to keep it in the context of the previous verses. The first five, the first seven in particular, where we read there uh, of the curse and of the blessing. That's the context. 
Why does the sinner choose the curse and not the blessing? Why does the sinner prefer to hold on to that which will be the means of his cursing? Bearing the very curse of God and reject. Why does he reject the blessing of God? The answer is found in this. It is because of the self-deceit of his fallen nature, his deceitful heart. The heart is desperately wicked. The heart, my friend, is deceitful above all things. It's interesting that that word deceitful there, it is the very same word that means crooked and polluted. The heart of man, the nature of fallen man, of sinful man, it is crooked, it is twisted, it is biased against God. Dear unsaved, in your sin tonight, that is how you are before the Lord. In your sinful nature, that sinful nature, your heart, it is twisted, it is biased against God. It presents that which is good as evil, and that which is evil, it presents to you as good. <clears throat> it deceives man. It deceives you with regard to your sin, with regard to the vileness, the filthiness, the uncleanness, of your sin. God tells us how he sees man in his sin. If we look at the chapter 1 of Isaiah, let me read those familiar verses to you, the first five and the first six. This is how God describes the sinner. This is how you really are before God. May not be how you see yourself. It may not be how your neighbors or your families see you. This is how God sees the sinner. Look at what it says in the first five of Isaiah 1. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will refold more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. What a description here of the sinner and his sin. Vile, filthy, those wounds that are putrefied, wounds that are running, septic, that are, wounds that are stinking with fileness. That is how God sees the sinner. But the sinner doesn't see himself like that. And dear unsaved, you don't see yourself like that perhaps tonight. Why? Because your sinful nature, your deceitful heart, presents to you that which is evil as good and that which is good as evil. Your sinful heart tells you that you're not so bad at all. The deceitful heart, it tells you that you, don't, that you don't need to know the Lord as your Savior. It would have you look at yourself to trust what you are, to trust what 
you have yourself. If you look at the 23rd verse of that chapter 9 of Jeremiah, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Oh, you tonight believe that you have enough. Your sinful nature, your deceitful heart would have you to be under a misunderstanding. It would show to you, your wisdom say to you, but you're wise and show your strength and it would show to you your riches, your wealth and it would say that's sufficient. That's good enough. There's no need of God's salvation. There's no need of peace with God. <clears throat> There's no need of a friendship with God. You can, you can go through the world just as you are. You can spend your life just as you are. You don't need the Lord. You don't need to be friends with God. You've got wealth. Why do you need the Lord? That's what the deceitful heart says. The deceitful heart will say, what do you need the Lord for? What do you need peace with God for? You've got strength and abundance. You don't need the Lord. What do you need the Lord for? Your heart says, you're wise enough yourself. You have wisdom. You don't need the wisdom of God. You have sufficient to go through life. Without the Lord, that's what your deceitful heart would tell you. It presents to you yourself as being sufficient for happiness. Your heart, my friend, may very well be telling you tonight that if you do your best, you will gain heaven. Oh, you acknowledge that there is a heaven. You're not an atheist. You acknowledge that there is a God. Uh, and you acknowledge that you need to have some preparation for heaven. But your heart will say to you, well, you can be saved by doing your best. No, no. Salvation is not by works. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as we read in Ephesians in the second chapter in those verses Eight and nine, where we're told that our salvation is not by works. It is by grace, saved by grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Dear soul, tonight this is the reality of the situation that you find yourself in without Christ. Your sinful nature, your deceitful heart is twisting things. We turn things right around. That is the nature. That is what deceitful means. It is to be crooked and polluted. And that is how your heart is. It turns right around the very truth of things. Maybe your heart tonight is telling you about the pleasures of sin. Oh, there's to be pleasure in sin. And it shows you the various sins of the world. And it tells you that 
There is pleasure to be found in those sins, but it deceives you because it doesn't tell you that the pleasures of sin are but for a season, as we have it in Hebrews 11 and 25. The pleasures of sin, they don't last. They're only for a while, only for a season. Even in this life, the pleasures of sin don't last. But I tell you this to your soul, no matter how much pleasure you get out of sin, how much pleasure you get out of evil, no matter how much pleasure you get in doing that which is rebellion against God, when it comes to your time to die, when you're called away from the scene of time, then the pleasures of sin are ended. But sinful nature, your deceitful heart, doesn't want you to understand that. Oh, dear soul, tonight, here is this text before us here. What it is to know God, it means to be saved by the grace of God, a salvation that is based upon the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the love of God that through salvation's plan That love, my friend, that brought it down to man. The love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God is seen in Calvary, where Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, took our sin in his own body there to the tree, to the cross at Calvary, and he bore the wrath of God in our place and turns that wrath away from us away from all who will repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ. That's what it is to know God. And my friend, saved by grace then, we're reconciled to God, saved by grace. We have that close fellowship and friendship with God, saved by grace. We're bound for heaven, sure and certain, of eternity in the glory land. That's what it is to know the Lord. That's what it is. And yet there are those who refuse it, who refuse that, who would rather hold on to their sin, who would rather continue on throwing the offer of God's salvation back in his face. Why? Because you're deceived by your very own heart, your fallen sinful nature. You're deceived. That twisted nature sets before you that which is perverted and would give to you that understanding, a misunderstanding to you. It would tell you that you don't need the Lord. That's what your nature tells you. But God says you do need him. God says if you're bound for heaven, if you will ever enter into heaven, you need to have Christ as your savior. You need a saving knowledge of Christ. That's what you need. That's what you need. There's no other way into heaven save through Christ. He says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man 
cometh unto the Father but by me. No man, doesn't matter who he is, what he is, he may be the strongest person in the world. He may be the wealthiest person in the world. He may be the wisest person in the eyes of the world. No man enters into heaven save through Christ. You need to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, my friend, that that might be the case tonight. The Lord makes the offer to you in his word. Salvation and all that accompanies salvation in Christ. All of the blessings that accompany salvation. Don't refuse that tonight, but rather receive Christ by faith. The promise of God is found in John 1. In the first 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Receive him to as many as receive him. Don't reject him. Don't refuse him. But rather, dear soul tonight, see your need of Christ. See the offer that he makes to you in the gospel. And receive him by faith as your Lord and Savior. May the Lord be pleased to bless this word in the gospel to hearts tonight. May the Lord be pleased tonight to have us to know what it is to be in the enjoyment of his full salvation. We'll bow in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank thee for thy wondrous salvation, for that wondrous redemption. Lord, we do remember in those early years, Lord, when we refused to know the Lord as our Savior. But oh, the wondrous, par powerful grace of Almighty God, when our hearts were enlightened by the ministry of the Word of God, so that we were able to see and understand the mercy of God, the provisions of God that are ours in Christ, that salvation that was wrought for us in Calvary. We thank thee, Lord, for saving us. Now we pray for any tonight who are in the meeting unsaved or any Lord who would be listening in unsaved. We pray that thou would open their heart, give them an understanding of their sin, an understanding of that salvation that is in Christ. We pray, Lord, that thou would grant to them faith enable them to come to thee to accept the offer of the gospel and put their trust in thee. Answer prayer to this end. We ask thee, Lord, that as we leave this meeting now, that thou would have us to go with and in the blessing of the triune God. Lord, answer prayer, we pray, for we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.